Welcome to another episode of Bench Talk. I'm your host, Tom Gerrard. This episode is sponsored by ironlack.com, premium art supplies made by artists for artists. Enter the code BENCHTALK at ironlack.com for 20% off your first order. This week I'm catching up with Melbourne-based artist Mike Macatron. How you going, Mike? Good, thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me here. No worries. So how you been? Yeah, been pretty good. Yeah? Keeping keep busy? Yeah, really busy lately. Uh, this year's been a, a good mix of travel, a lot of walls, and uh, last few months just doing a lot of canvas work. Yeah, that's good to hear. Um, so, like, I've known you for years, but I, I don't know much about... Like, I don't know, we always talk about right now and, you know, present moment stuff. But, like, like where are you from and how did you get into art? I grew up in Adelaide. Um, I lived there for 19 years till I just turned 20. Um, and how to get into art. I think we all start art at the same time in kindergarten. It's something that I just haven't really ever stopped. But um, high school was studying art, amongst other things. Straight after high school was doing illustration in Adelaide and then um, studying fine art in New York and design in Melbourne. And I guess, um, you know, my life now, it's full-time art for 10, 12 years. It's a really uh, incredible position to be in from those early years. Um, and I don't think it was really something I thought was feasible until late 20s. Yeah. I was late 30s for me. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, my mum had her first art show at 71 a couple of years ago. Did she? Good on yeah. her. Yeah. That was a proud moment. Yeah, she's a, a pianist. And uh, I've seen paintings of hers from um, high school and I think even university. But she studied piano and was, I think, a semi-professional level before having six kids. Yeah. Does uh, Can you see any family resemblance in your art? Um, well, she's quite refined and polished and um, she studies, she does uh, classes with uh, other people her age and it's, um, you know, not really my style. I guess there are, she's definitely influenced by nature. She does a lot of like, landscapes and flowers and stuff. Cool. Yeah. So I guess someone's from the shore. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you, uh, that you uh, studied in New York. Like, yeah. Like, how'd that all come about? Um, it was, uh, I got a scholarship for, I was half for sport, athletics, and half for academics, and was for playing this sport, lacrosse. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you know I played this sport? No, I didn't. Yeah. My, my uncle used to play that for, like, you know, pretty... You really like, were. I, I don't know. I remember watching him play um, games where he was playing for Victoria. Right. So yeah. He was, he was decent, yeah. Yeah. It's a, um, it's a kind of unusual sport in Australia. It's quite boutique, um, only in three states. But uh, as a kid, it was a you know a passion of mine as a teenager, and that was probably the peak of my um, um, interest. But I was good enough to be in the under nineteen Australian team, and we toured USA. And uh, through that, I got a offer of a scholarship. Mm-hmm. And then the academic side was the SAT test, where I think I had like a um, I don't know, something like a A minus average, and that was enough to get uh, academic money. So that just meant a full scholarship. So I did that for a year and a half and um, studied art under a few people there in Adelphi, Long Island. And it was quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I had no intention of finishing a degree there, so I was just picking the subjects which were the most pure fun for me. And like, and how did you uh, like get into art over there? Um, well, I was st- studying in the, in the college there, in the university. Um, that was also a big influence of just seeing the layers of 
of graffiti in New York and it's, you know, 30, 40 years and it's just kind of uh, ingrained in the society. And so it opened my eyes to doing big walls there as well as just the broadness of what is art. So there was one class we did philosophy of art where every week we go to a different museum in Manhattan and then two classes during the week we'd sit on the grass and talk about art and philosophy or we'd sit in the cafeteria if it was raining. And um, yeah, just experimenting a lot as well and also just grabbing paint and painting uh, painting everywhere, I guess, yeah. So what, uh, what years were these when you were in New York? This was, um, university was 2001, and then I lived there, I say five years, it was more or less to 2004, where it was the main place I was living. Mm-hmm. So that meant five round-the-world tickets, so each year I'd um, go to Europe and Asia, and around the world. Jeez, that would have been pretty um, eye-opening for Absol- a young guy. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it was a crazy time. I think there was, um, I think for that five years, there wasn't a time when I was in the one place for more than a semester, more than three, four months without changing country. Wow. So you were there when the uh, World Trade Center happened? Yeah, that was uh, 2001 in September, of course, but that was the semester that I was entered as a student to the country and then I unenrolled. So technically I was living there illegally because I was on a student visa and um, just working as a bike courier. Yeah. Mm. How'd you get into that? Uh, I was doing that in Adelaide before moving to New York, and this is a job that um, you're outdoors, you're screaming around town on a bike, delivering packages, it's a lot of fun, everyone hates you, there's no job security, um, there's no money and no future in it, but yeah, I did that job for, for more or less nine years till I was 27. Yeah. It was the main job, yeah. Wow, that, that was that hard to like uh, learn your way around New York at first? I know it's like all gridded and numbered yeah. and everything, but uh, it's... Back then there's no Google Maps, so you had this uh, cheat sheet like an A5 piece of paper that just helped out with the main uh, avenues. Mm-hmm. And um, that would mean you could navigate yourself reasonably well. But, you know, obviously the more you do that job, the, the easier it is. And a lot of those buildings as well, you're not going up into the 50th floor. You're going to like a messenger center out the back. So when you get to learn those main ones, you can get around fairly quick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of um, you know, graffiti writers from New York got into bike couring as well. Yeah. But Future the... is probably the most famous. Yeah. Another guy, Stash. Wasn't Dondi doing it for a while? Dondi, I think, yeah. And I know Zephyr was into bikes. I Zephyr, know. I think it was, yeah, something yeah. like that. Like, I, met, um, I met Future, actually, and he still still goes to Bike Messenger World Championships. Serious? Yeah, he loves, loves it. it, yeah. Yeah. He, he uh, went to this one in Guatemala. I think he might have been the one in France or something recently. And with, um, like, were you, were you painting on the streets while that was happening? Like, doing tags and stuff while yeah. um, you were messaging around and yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. And, um... Um, I guess I would be doing some murals, but it's probably more like one one mural every two, three months in those time. And now it's more or less like one every two weeks. Yeah. Generally, yeah. yeah. So what uh, what made you return to uh, to Australia? Um, well, I guess when World, World Trade happened, my sister was had a flight to New York and I was like, I'm out of here. And she was thinking, I'll still come. And I was like, no, I want to get out of here. And uh, then so I left, I still had a girlfriend there, so I went back the next year and I started working in a bag shop actually, still a messenger, but I was working for Crumpler, which is an Aussie, Aussie bag company that started um, from making courier bags. Did that for six, eight months of the initial shop there. And um, the main reason I kept living there was having a girlfriend and just the travel thing, yeah. Mm. You find when you're young, you just sort of 
you don't really think too much about the future. You just for sure going about day to day. For like, sure, I know. I just I, I was overseas, just doing the same thing, and not really think like I don't know. Years just went past, mm. uh, you know. And then one day you have a wake up call. It's like, oh man, I feel like leaving. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think yeah. in those in those years, maybe it's because that job you every day there's something where you're extremely close to dying. Mm. It's right in your face, and that's usually. Uh, someone else's stupidity or just the situation you're in riding a bike in some crazy traffic. And so I kind of had this attitude that I wouldn't be alive after 30, so make the best of it now and live with no regrets. And um, you can compare yourself to other people of your same high school where they own houses, you know, late 30s or whatever, but I just have no regrets from those years. So Yeah, oh, good stuff. So when... Um so when you uh, came back to Australia, did you move straight to Melbourne? Yeah, it was kind of a slow transition because the last few years of New York, I would always, or every year going there, I would come through Melbourne for a week or two, stay with my sister in Clifton Hill. And then it would have been 2004 or five where I came here and stayed for six months. I just had a, a job in a bike shop doing mechanic work and then got a job in Melbourne as a career and never, didn't really make a move from Adelaide to Melbourne, so to speak. It was more that... Um, just wasn't really based in Adelaide anymore for four or five years. Yeah. And then, um, is that when you met the Everfresh crew? Yeah, well, there's one guy, uh, Rick from Adelaide, who was a courier as well, and he was the initial connection. Um, and I was just hanging out there a lot in the studio in back of PBS. Remember that one? Yeah. That little, uh, everyone was just on the one table, sharing these you know big bits of paper, drawing them on them and stuff. Yeah. That was good times, that yeah. studio. Yeah, it's interesting looking back on that because uh, some people have stayed on and developed art careers, other people have kind of floated out. And back then, no one was really making any money at all. Everyone had other jobs. So. Yeah. I know, I was working across the road. Yeah. So I was spending a lot of time at the studio, hanging out, yeah. drinking beers, yeah. doing some artwork. But um, yeah, like back in those years, I I never thought about you know becoming an artist or anything like that. Yeah. You know, it was just, I don't know, it was just fun. You just, Doing yeah, it for passion. Every, yeah, everyone had jobs mm. and made art outside of work. Mm. And that's funny now that the jobs that take on, like I'm rarely painting unless it's for a purpose. Mm. And part of that is just time management. And I still try to do things that are just pure fun, whether to wall or canvas. But I find that um, there's just so much going on that it, it generally matches to become directed to some kind of a project. Yeah. And so um, I think becoming full-time, some kind of purity uh has left mm-hmm. um but then there's so many other benefits from not doing other jobs yeah mm. so um so at this time in your life and even back in the new york times and adelaide and everything like what style of art were you doing back then does it look like the art you're doing now or were you working on different styles uh i think it was very diverse because i just every, even these days i seem to take a lot of different influences but adelaide was an illustration degree through a, a, a graphic design course so I found that those people doing that course were the most talented artists that had wanted some kind of a commercial sustainable career. Um, in New York, I was doing quite a variety of things, a lot of life drawing, printmaking, um, oil painting, number of classes, oils, and uh, history and philosophy, that kind of thing. also did a few other random things of like sports science and music, did a piano course. Yeah. But what, what was your art looking like though? Uh, lots of different things. A lot of illus- illustration, I guess. Um, never really got that into doing letter forms, but um, back then it was doing stuff on the streets, but it was probably more like um, 
um, graphic things, just black and white, like high high shadow kind of work. Mm -hmm. mm. And we we doing a lot of this in New York on the streets. Yeah, there was one mural that was a black and white face that was something I did in printmaking class, and then it was on Houston and Allen, which is one of the main intersections of New York, kind of like Zero Street, and that was in the apartment that I was living in, and you had to be. He had to climb out the window to that first floor to be able to access that kind of platform. So that lasted for like 10, 12 years or more on this main street. I don't think I had my name on that or anything. And then there was another mural that lasted a long time that was East 3rd and B. And I was living right there and working as a food delivery guy on my bicycle. And that was the first time that I used proper paint that had good coverage. And I painted a scene that was um, an underwater skyline of Manhattan and had this big octopus and kind of fish floating around everywhere. Cool. And had the World Trade Centers in there just covered in moss. And it's, um, that was something that once those towers came down, they were just deleted from anyone's logo and Spider-Man movie. They deleted that scene before it came out. And, and uh, yeah. Yeah, did you um, see them coming down? Yeah, I saw the second one fall down. So um, when the first one, was, when they were both on fire, I was on top of my roof on, on Houston and Allen actually. And you can see there's just big smoke coming from them. And that's about a, maybe a seven, eight, ten minute bike ride. And so I jumped on my bike with the guy that was crashing on the couch. And um, riding down there, I, this was back when I had a disposable camera because there's no, no phones on with cameras. And there was only three photos left on this camera. So I went into like a little corner store. It was just chaotic. There was no sound over me. So I just walked out with this camera, rode down to the West Side Highway. And... Um, Sorry, one had already fallen down on TV in the house. And it wasn't until I saw it on TV that it became real, mm. which is kind of strange to say. Um, yeah, so then me and this friend Zach were maybe three blocks away, three, four blocks um, on the water, the west, side, west, uh, west River. And then it started falling. And I took all these photos, uh, snap, wind, snap, wind. And um, by the third or fourth photo, this explosion was coming up the street. And I took maybe one more. Kind of, I was thinking, okay, it'll be here in 20 seconds, 15 seconds. And then we jumped on our bikes and went north. And uh, took one or two more photos behind my head as we were riding away. Um, and then one of the first things that happened from then, I saw a guy on Canal Street, another bike messenger, and he had a package for the World Trade Center. Wow. Yeah, so there's you know, obviously thousands of those stories of hmm. meant to be there and you went this way or they just left work or you know whatever it was. So I still lived there for another three years or so and uh, then more or less been going back every every two years and it's only been the last few years that I've been getting a little bit of work there. I still have a huge wall on um, Bedford Avenue and South Third, which is a huge snail. It's one of my favourite walls. And I don't usually say that because mostly I'm critical of things I've done in the past uh, and that was quite a fun one to paint it was a community effort with all my career friends and um, uh, very lucky to get that wall because there's going to be a building put there at some point which will cover that wall mm -hmm. are they like trapped in close? it'll be trapped there cause, yeah because it's like a blank wall no windows next to an empty lot that is on an intersection mm. and so it's great viewing from the main street of Bedford which is uh, the pathway from Williamsburg Bridge straight through uh, Williamsburg there. Hmm. It's weird painting walls in vacant lots and then they p put a building there. Yeah. Because like, I, you know, as... Time capsules. Yeah, like, like I'm sure, 
you know, so many people have done it over the years. Mm. And it's, um, and you, I don't know, when I've done it, I always think, oh, I wonder how long that building's going to stay there for. Yeah. And when they pull it down, there's no UV, UV destruction. Yeah. There's one that uh, Everfresh did in Adelaide. Oh, when would that have been? I can't remember, 2007, 8, 9, something like that that um, within a year or two a building went up there and I think you can still see a tiny bit through the, the edge of it. Mm. So meeting up with the uh, Everfresh guys, do you, do you feel that was a, a, a um, pivotal point in your art career? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's um, something that uh, in those early years I'm learning so much from people who are dedicated and talented in the various ways and, and also learning like graphic design stuff because I was doing a little bit of that for money and studying that at the same time. I remember Roan was working for a company in November, which was on the same street as my university in Port Melbourne. Um, but also sometimes I wonder, like, let's say that never happened, and where would I be now, and what kind of influence I would have. I think it would be much more abstract, not not kind of street art and illustrative, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I know uh, through speaking to a lot of the other guys from Everfresh and also being there uh, you know, around the studio a lot over the years, like, I know Fib's played a big role in a lot of um, development in people's styles. Absolutely, yeah. And, um, but you can't really see that much in, in your style. Yeah, it's funny because I would say that he was the person who was the most welcoming for me to jump on walls. And still these days, he's, his attitude is like, let's, you know, let's just go have fun. And he's just painting mm. all the time. Um, and I think in those early years, I was doing more character work that would fit in with... Um, the group where there's a decision of, okay, these three colors for character, this color, the outline, then those, the, those three colors background, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it's a, a format that, that took a while to get um, handy enough with aerosol to get what I wanted. There's also some point where I think I had a shoulder injury and I was working on a ladder and um, painting something, I couldn't move my arm from left to right high without a shutter because of this little injury. And then uh, the process would, you know, you'd, you'd paint outside where you wanted to, and then you have to start again with the background, then a f- glow fade, then an outline, and you know, then the final lines and stuff. And I just thought, what's the point? You know, it doesn't make much difference, and I enjoy making things messy and textured. And then the viewer, they can't see that anyway, either way. So. Mm. Yeah, people get caught up a lot in um, in the viewing distance yeah. of artwork. Yeah. Because I, I just remember when I was working in graphic design. And um, I was doing a lot of billboards, uh, and like they'll give you the specs of the billboard, and it'd be really low res. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you can't send this to print. It's like. Yep, but you can. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like lower than web almost. Yeah. And then uh, and then once they blow it up, put it on the billboard, perfect, and you, yeah. the viewing distance yeah. is so far away. That's yeah. one. That's one thing recently that I've been um, taking mental note of. Uh, is how far away you have to view things and for the eye to make up the information. Mm. And it's something that, especially with these jungle landscapes that I've been doing, a lot of that is really fun, making texture and mess and drips, uh, generally starting with the lightest colours and then slowly getting colours on top. And then really dark colour for base for the ground area and building up on top of that. And the more mess and stuff you can do, and if you polish things on top, if you can stand back a certain distance then your brain just makes up the information mm. and I think it brings the viewer into the artwork more so they have to actually do something to take it all in yeah and it's one thing that um, I think I found it hard to translate that into canvas because uh, you're generally not standing back four meters to see a canvas so that style of these jungle landscape things hasn't been easy to translate yeah 
So I do find though, like when you when you're in galleries and everything, people like to get right up close to the mm. paintings. I remember mm. my first few exhibitions, and you'd see people like almost with their nose to the painting. It's mm. like, can you not do that? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't paint for the, I didn't yeah. paint these paintings to be looked at it that close. Yeah. You know, even now it's just like I don't know. I don't I don't pride myself on being a clean painter, mm. and I'm actually you know trying to embrace the looseness as much so, as possible. Yeah. You know? I try to keep keep some looseness in every single thing, so it's not all polished. Yeah. So um. Back in 2004, mm-hmm. you were uh, lucky to be uh, included in a big group of uh, Melbourne artists who were, um, had their artwork acquired by National Gallery of Australia. That was 2004? I think it was 2004. Yeah. yeah. No, I think it must have been later. Because that was when I was first moving to Melbourne. 2005 then? Maybe. <laughs> well, so anyway. I'm usually pretty there. good at knowing where I was at certain yeah, time, okay. time periods. Because I, I was lucky enough to get included in that as well. Yeah. But I thought... Uh, okay. I reckon 2005 or something. Okay, okay let's say that. Yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, how, how did that all come about? And uh, That was directly related to being in Everfresh because a lady came through, uh, Jackie Babington, I think that was, from um, National Gallery. And um, it was pretty casual. She's like, all right, you know, we want to just get a, a snapshot, I guess, of who's active on the street and submit one piece. And um, the event in Canberra was amazing. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty good that um, Australian art, like well, street artists, were yeah. getting uh, you know they were collecting a sort of yeah. time period, yeah. which is you know it's pretty rare because that I don't know these days I don't hear of anything like that happening. And yeah. that was over ten years ago. And it would be interesting to to look back on that in some point because some people would you know that would be a point in time and they don't really pursue art career. Then other people have already skyrocketed, mm. and so that's you know just like one stepping stone in amazing careers. Yeah, like I know a lot of the um, the guys that were you know and, and girls who were included in that. You see their art like CV or bio, and that's always still in there. In there yeah. There's not much from that time period that you really well. Yeah, for me, yeah, about. for sure. But, uh, and even like, even like that style of art, like I don't think I would show show openly show easily that. The piece that was, you know, acquired. Yeah. It was some kind of a um, monkey skull, fish bones, kind of fossil thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cut out on some kind of a foam board, I think it was. Yeah. Mm. I think everyone's evolved since then. For sure. Yeah. But I think some people, like, I remember, um, uh, what's his name? Niels. Yeah. I remember his piece for that. Uh, you know, he's quite an interesting background and his piece, I think, is somewhat timeless, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, his art from that era was amazing. Mm. Like his art now is amazing as mm. well. But there was he's something about that era for for me that really spoke to me. Mm. You know, I think if uh, an institution like the National Gallery of Australia was was to do it now, I think a lot of the same people would still be involved. But they, I, th- I think they'll be getting a, a better collection of art. Yeah, you know? I think definitely more mature pieces. Yeah, because because um. everyone was just like playing around on the streets and in the studio and the studios were used a lot just to prepare the artwork yeah, for, street, for the yeah. streets yeah, yeah absolutely so yeah. um you know national gallery if you are listening to this <laughs> get back onto it <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it, was, it was a really good show and i remember going up to um camera to see it and the uh and the the people at the gallery were saying oh yeah this is like actually been one of the most popular shows we've had in a right. long time you know. funny that they haven't done it again you know every yeah. five years or something yeah even if it's, you know, just like a minor side thing, add a few more pieces, show some more ones or whatever it is. Yeah. Mm. So 
through following your career over the years, like I've noticed you, you paint a lot and you, you paint mostly on the streets, but you yeah. don't really exhibit in galleries that much. Yeah, I think that's a that was a conscious thing 10 years ago where I wanted to find myself in a position of full-time murals or close to that. And it's been full-time for quite a while now. Uh, the last, I've had four, four solo shows, three in Melbourne, then one in Sydney. And the last one was four years ago, I think, four or five years. Mm-hmm. But I actually have one coming up December 5th. Do you? Yeah. Where at? In Collingwood, uh, Wellington and Stanley Street, the gallery that used to be called Ruka, yep. where Callum Preston did his show. Um, they're not in there anymore, and it's just a venue you can rent. Mm-hmm. So we're taking that out for five, six days. Um, and that's what I've been doing this last month or two, just painting canvas, doing drawings. Cool. How's and that all coming along? It's been really fun, actually. And um, uh, I found myself... Oh, the first three days of doing canvas work, I wasn't getting what I wanted very easily. Kept having to rework things, and I was thinking it's too worked. Um, but after just you know a number of hours, kind of felt like I was getting back to where I was in my early twenties, I guess, when I was doing a lot of canvas in uni. Yeah. Mm. What's the uh, style like? Are you um, moved in a different direction, or are you doing what you're known for? Uh, well, I'm calling it Hanging Gardens of Macatron, and so most things are. Uh, I've got garden relationships, it's a little bit magical, there's a few kind of characters, fair bit of mess and drips, uh, accompanying with some polished parts, semi-realistic I guess. Cool. Mm. A little bit weird, not too weird, a little bit trippy. Yeah. And is this, um, are you, like, you've planned on making exhibitions a thing from the For on, sure, or? yeah, I want to do, I want to do at least one a year. And I already planned the next one because there was this uh, conversation about a month ago with my girlfriend, she's an industrial designer. She's actually helping out with a few of the installations. She's a lighting designer. Um, but I had some a piece I did some months ago and it's on this uh, fake brick. And there were these big kind of uh, uh, woman's eyes, all this dot matrix style, which I've done a few times on the street. Um, and then I'd been doing, painting a couple of little smaller A4 kind of size uh, sexy lips with ciggies in there and it's pretty kind of dirty and beautiful gold ugly frames and um, one idea for a show name was pretty ugly and it's all this kind of should be obvious what that's about mm-hmm. um, and then she's got a better mind for keeping things in in line like kind of branding I guess is the word and she's like just save these for another show and keep it all kind of garden related and I was like it's a very good idea so I want to do it every year and slowly move less walls, more quality, more um, time each one, and um, more sculpture work. Yep. Cool. This show as well, if I can say a few more things, I'm doing a piano terrarium. I used to have a lizard, you probably remember that lizard in the piano. Yeah. Took the strings out, and then that was a terrarium for a year. And uh, just traveling so much, I didn't water it enough. But reworking that, putting glass in there and putting mirrors in the back and a terrarium expert most upon a time they're going to install this week so it's enough time to let the plants settle. So you've uh, you've painted in some um, pretty interesting parts of the world. Yeah. Like what yeah. are some of the more interesting uh, places you've painted? Um, Brazil was uh, a great time. Saw you in Brazil. Yeah, we were hanging uh, out in Rio. In Rio. I was in Brazil three times in three years and it was definitely a lot of painting. Maybe 12... 12 different places staying, I guess. Um, what, ma- what made it uh, exciting over there? Uh, it's, it's pretty crazy there. Like, there's a very different attitude of what is public property, and there's such a diverse um, range of um, artists and huge disparity of rich and poor. 
and I think just like people who paint there, it's the I mean back then there's no Instagram blogging things straight away, so it's just purity of, of painting just for fun. And one thing that I found in these um, kind of poorer neighborhoods of favelas is people don't see it as vandalism or trashing things; they see it as some kind of pride in the community. Uh, unless you're doing the Pichasal lettering, which did a little bit of that, I guess. Um, but um, it also was uh, challenging where there'd be a very limited range of colours and options, so you just have to make do. And I think that trains your brain to problem solve a little bit better. Mm. I remember you and me were painting up in Cantogallo, that favela near Copacabana, and... Um, you know, we're just grabbing paint from wherever and just like, hitting things the locals tell us we can paint. They don't own it. That's just yeah. real fun, yeah. Yeah, I remember those um, those young guys were saying, paint paint here, the front of our, our front place. Front of my house, yeah. Yeah, and it was like a big apartment block we painted the yeah. entrance. They, then, they don't own it. <laughs> no. But I remember they were, we were chatting to them and they were saying, oh, yeah, we're bored. We're bored. The police have taken our guns taken away. Our guns, we've got, yeah, we've got nothing to do. Yeah, I remember that other guy was showing us all those bullet holes just up the street there as well. Yeah. And then they were, um, and then uh, one of the locals was saying we can, we're not allowed to um, paint any of their houses because of the that they don't want any identifiable marks on the, right. the houses. So you'd say you, you don't say oh you go get drugs from, from this the, house, the the, the, the house turtle, with yeah. the, the blue turtle on the front. Yeah. You know. It's funny just up up the up the road from uh, where we were painting there. I can't remember what year it was because um, I went into that one a few times. But um, we went up. We got taken up there by a local, this big black guy, Wellington, and uh, just to a party where they were practicing for Carnival. So it's just 60, 80 people on drums. Everyone's going wild. Everyone's dancing. And then we're drinking in a tiny alleyway afterwards with him. And as soon as I turn up with the big black guy, is obviously a local, two Brazilian girl, my old girlfriend and her friend, uh, looking like locals. Uh, there's a guy a few five, six meters away that was on a milk crate against a wall. And when I turn up, he just pulls out a machine gun and puts it on his lap. He's still sitting down. He's not kind of being aggressive or anything, but I was just kind of whispered to the friends, hey, that guy's got a pretty big gun over there. There's no problem. We drank a few more beers and kind of left, but it's, it's, it's crazy there. Like there's military level weapons on both sides and people are just killing each other for drugs, power, and the corruption is just so rife there. Mm. Yeah, it definitely makes you appreciate living in Australia. Yeah, I remember that um, that lady that was showing us around there, she showed us that building and it was just riddled with bullet, bullet holes. holes. yeah. And she said, oh, see that? That's uh, That used to be the drug king, kingpin's house and yeah. the police took it over and killed him and now it's the police station. Wow. Just to sort of show that they're wow. in power. Yeah. You know. But I think with, with that, there's what I understand, there's so much corruption with police, so... Police, sometimes they kill other police if they're dealing with, you know, making deals. But then sometimes they will get um, disciplined for going to certain places because those neighbourhoods have paid off the police properly, so they get left alone. Mm. And then you hear about police raiding, raiding some places, taking all the money, uh, drugs, weapons, and then just selling the drugs and weapons on to another group. Mm. Yeah, because I remember uh, just before we went there, my friend uh, Discreet went painting in there in the same favela. Same one, right? And he said that. Did we see his work there? Uh, I saw a bit. No, he said he's he was now part of our studio. He's a very welcome, yeah, new guy in there. But he said that he uh, he was in there painting, and he he left, and just as he was walking out out of there, there was a whole like like a big squad of police, all like in riot gear and everything. Really going, yeah. They all pushed past him and went up. Oh wow! 
up the laneway and he said it was all over the news afterwards that there was Getting like a big bloodbath in there. My first time in Brazil, um, someone was translating a news news uh, article on TV and uh, they were saying that a police man in a helicopter got taken down from a bazooka and lived. So I don't know how he lived from that, but um, <laughs> it's it's incredible. Though, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I find that with the artists there, um, I find there's a lot of... Um, passion in their art and the kind of significance I guess mm. and recently in the last couple of months I wrote a forward to a show that was at B-Side Gallery for just Brazilian artists um, and it kind of brought back a lot of memories yeah so Brazil holds a close place in your heart definitely yeah I've been looking to go back there but um, not with that girlfriend anymore and um, uh, I guess I guess just going with the flow and haven't had a, a great reason or a specific reason yeah so what are uh, some of the other Crazy places you've painted because I know you've painted the Berlin Wall as well. A little bit, yeah. I lived in Berlin for three months and another couple of times there for you know three weeks, four weeks. Um, South Africa, I was there for a while. Um, uh, lots over North America, South America, um, maybe five, six countries in Asia. Yeah. So just just traveling, I found that I would probably be working. Sometimes feel like I'm working even more mm. because you're just working long hours in the sun. And sometimes painting like just dirty alleyways that no one's really ever going to see. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about some of the harsh parts of the world I've painted in, mm. and just I don't know. You just find yourself like in you see a wall and you go, "Gee, that looks like a good spot," and then you realise you're in like you're in some weird spot that's like got human shit everywhere. Yeah. And it's just like, man, I can't believe I'm yeah. spending the day here. You know? I remember painting in San Fran, and um, it was the front of a, a gallery called the Luggage Store, and it was. Awesome part of town, um, Market Street, I think Tenderloin or the Mission, I can't remember where. And uh, it was the most amount of human shit I've seen in an urban place. And it seemed like every fourth person was just talking to himself. It's just like a high concentration of crazies there. Mm. Yeah, do you feel uh, feel threatened in those places at all? Not really. It's just kind of almost like annoying that, that doing public art, you seem to be a magnet for a lot of things. And often it's really positive, but crazy people just seem to want to come and get involved or just kind of release what's on their brain um, but generally painting painting in public you get much more co- uh, positive comments yeah. so it's an interesting way to interact with people yeah so you've also um, done uh, work for uh, Miami Art Basel yeah how'd you get involved with that uh, I've been to Basel four times um, that would have been the year after the last time I was in Brazil um, so the first time, a bunch of guys from Everfresh are going, so just kind of jumped on that. And it's pretty... You've been there, right? No, I've never been. Oh, right. It's not like... Um, I mean, the main Art Basel event is in Basel, Switzerland. There's Art Basel Hong Kong, and then Miami's uh, the summer one. So the main reason people go there is for these art fairs, and it's the high end of town for galleries. And then the street art thing kind of started, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, in this area of Wynwood, where... Uh, I think there's a, a backstory of property developers kind of um, getting art involved to increase prices. And that's probably the, the I'm going to guess, the biggest um, change in gentrification of prices and neighbourhoods changing for this area of Wynwood. And uh, that was a lot of factories, kind of um, ghetto neighbourhood, but now it's even less walls because shopping malls are moving in there, so there's uh, glass being put in where there was a concrete wall. Mm. Um, that was probably it. Probably still is the most amount of murals uh, per kilometer in that area. 
uh, and it was great to be there, but I found not as... Well, after going there once, I thought, okay, I've done it, I don't have to go there again. Um, but I've been back there four times in total. The last time was the best because I got a flight and had an awesome mall, had a, you know, stuff paid for. So that's, you know, that's great to get to that point. Mm. I heard there's a, a lot of artists there just sort of desperate to be seen as well. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I think also you see the ugly side of whatever type of commercialization is possible, it's, it's relevant there. Yeah. Um, and um, there's even some cases I've heard where people with properties or access to walls will be charging artists, you know, pay me and you can paint my wall for this great spot. Um, but then also you think about the locals as well. They, Some of them um, use it as a stepping stone. It's great for them. A lot of them just get squeezed out, especially the illegal side of things. Yeah. So over the years, I've seen you've done a lot of other good gigs, like, um, I don't know, like lots of big murals everywhere, mm. but even work with uh, Mona down in Tasmania yeah. and stuff like that. How, how do you go about drumming up this work? Good question. It's a very good question. I mean, I think a lot of it is organic. I think word of mouth is the main thing. I think uh, painting a lot of walls leads to painting a lot of walls. I think the uh, the rise of social media at a certain time is perfect in my age, um, where people are blogging things and that's, you know, people are putting it out there, which leads to someone seeing your work somewhere. Um, but yeah, it's a really good question because uh, I'm in this unusual position where I have more work for quite a while than I can handle. So that's good to be able to handball to certain friends. Um, talking about the time when social media came in, for me, I've said this a few times, where I'm kind of glad in my early 20s that it wasn't easy for people to just blog everything and it's out there on the record. And it still is somewhere, but um, at a certain point, maybe late 20s, um, it's, um, yeah, it's a lot easier for people just to take a photo, put it online, and then there's a record on the front, on there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've been pretty... Uh you know, consistently trying to clean up my, uh, you know, what's out there of me. What, what do you mean, like a street or canvas work on? Just everything. Just as I, I develop and grow. Mm. Like, I don't, there's a lot of old stuff out there I don't want seen. But, you, so, like, the stuff that's on the streets you can't control. Yeah. The, um, but I'm very fussy with the uh, studio work that I put out there. Yeah. Like well, you I, can, you I, can do that a lot more with studio, of course. Mm. I find that I put probably one out of ten paintings online. Really? Yeah. Why so little? Because uh, I choose not to. Yeah. Yeah. But you're not as proud of those, or you don't want to flood things, or I just I just don't want to I, I just don't really care about social media so yeah. much. I've I've found that social media works better when you stop caring. Oh, and I, you I just, think sure. And it's yeah. just like I oh, just go with the flow. Like I'll do Instagram stories and stuff. I'm pretty good at that. But as mm. far as actually posting anything that's going to permanently be there, I, I I don't know if it's something I really like. I'll put it on there. Mm. But I find that um, um, in some way, like it works. Like the, if you can be consistent mm. and have have a, a style that goes out there, you're going to f- find a following and it's hard to kind of gauge where that job came through, you know, if it's like 10 steps back to something you posted two years ago. Mm. But I don't really enjoy it actually, trying to maintain that. And the last month or so I've been very inactive on that, partly because I've just been doing canvas work and I don't want to show that yet. Um, but also um, just paying someone else, I have a younger girl, a 25-year-old uh, friend, and she's... Um, I give her four or five posts and I say just do these over the next few weeks yeah. and it means that I am found myself looking less on to a screen yeah. which I think uh, a lot of people these days are in denial of their addiction to that mm. it's endless entertainment there yeah I, I th- felt the graphic design killed the screen for me yeah. I just I don't know when, after spending years of staring at a computer all mm. day 
and then like you know it was as the iPhone came about and everything like that I just found it I was just burnt out from looking at screens and now I um I don't know I try and limit it as much as possible yeah but I think most people are the opposite yeah they're, they're, they're you know the more they use computers and screens the more there is to do and it enhances whatever they're doing yeah mm. how do you find that your graphic design skills you learn influence your art style uh I don't know really I think it's helped with color palette everything mm-hmm. like I know I think I paint quite graphically what is it about curation curation self curation of like uh I, it's not I don't think it's graphic design that's um mm-hmm. that, that does that it's my daily drawings mm-hmm. that um and then that they're all based off things that have been placed in front of me mm-hmm. so it's you know I take a fo- lots of photos with my phone mm-hmm. and I screenshot things off off Instagram mm-hmm. and um but these are things that have been placed in front of me and that's and that's, I don't think it's graphic design has any any mm-hmm. role in that my main reason for studying graphics in those early years was to gain the computer skills to run myself as a small business yeah and that part of the goal worked. I do regret going to a university which I'll be paying for, you know, hex. Eventually, I don't think I've really started paying that off yet. But I think learning some kind of skills in graphics has helped me with some kind of curation. I think that's a weakness of mine to be able to look at uh, have look at things in the past and know which direction I should take in the future. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I find design skills have really helped though with is um. It's like you know, doing your website and things like that. Absolutely, with yeah. Platforms like Squarespace and things like yeah. that, where you, you're doing it yourself. Yeah. You can just if you've got a bit more design knowledge. Yeah. You know, and even even at this point, like I used to do website design for money, just real basic ones. I learned some basics of HTML coding in New York in a school that was for bike messengers run by bike messengers, just on really basics of HTML. Um, but for many years, I've just realised I don't want to be up to date with what you can do so I just pay other people and mm. I've generally been getting help from random people from those uh, virtual assistant websites in Bangladesh or Pakistan or whatever yeah just a problem solve because it'll take me 10-15 minutes learning something that I don't really need to learn and I'm not <coughs> going to need to use that again in the foreseeable future yeah, yeah it's funny I, I've, I learned uh, HTML coding back in 2002 I yeah. think I was living in London and I needed to be studying in order to um stay in the country right and that and, was the course oh you man it was it was so bad it was a little like self-spacing and all those different oh, it's yeah. just like a, a little community college but mm-hmm. the teacher was um had a really thick scottish accent right and he had no front teeth oh wow and so i couldn't understand a word he was saying and he had he had to talk with a hanky in his hand and keep wiping the spit away like it was really bad wow. yeah and um, absorb the information yeah i came out of that just not knowing <laughs> really yeah, but yeah, I stayed in the country for a bit longer. But I, I can't call myself a, a web designer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to start uh, doing some ads here on Bench Talk for people who are wanting to promote their um, art exhibitions and other art projects they're working on. Um, got the first one here. It's uh, for Callum Preston, who's a former guest of the podcast. He's um, currently working on his new solo show, Everything is Borrowed, which opens on November 21st at KSR Art Bar at the Rialto. It's an exploration of the trinkets, keepsakes and heirlooms that evoke memories and tell a story. He's built himself a custom workshop in the middle of the gallery from recycled materials where he's creating all the works for the show. You can go and visit him uh, working on the lead up to the show from uh, 4pm till late on weekdays and um, it's a chance for people to stop by and see the work in progress, have a chat and learn more about the show. You can follow Callum on Instagram at Callum Preston to see what he's up to. 
The show runs from November 21st to December 7th, and it's being uh, supported by Converse and Bodrigi Brewing Company. Another up-and-coming art show in Melbourne is a four-day pop-up called Suburban Primitive by Melbourne-based artist Steve Leadbeater. Steve's also been on the podcast in the past. I recommend uh, checking out his um, episodes. The opening night's on the 29th of November from 6pm at Juddy Roller Gallery in Fitzroy. You can check out Steve's work on Instagram, at Leadbeater. He's uh, a really great artist and really worth uh, checking out. I recommend both those uh, exhibitions. Um, I'll definitely be there. All right, Mike, are you uh, ready for some rapid-fire questions? Sure, Tom. Okay, uh, name one artist who you think deserves more shine. Um, I think I'd say Otis Chamberlain. Yeah? You know Otis? No. Uh, he was, he's from New Zealand. He's back in New Zealand. He was in San Fran for about a year, and he lived in Melbourne for about six, seven years. But he's someone who, um, I think I have a lot of friends who are very talented but seem to not be able to find themselves running themselves as a small business. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, you know, maintaining enough work so they don't have to have another part-time job. Um, but yeah, I love his style. I've worked with him. He's an extremely talented musician as well and also a interesting brain. He studies uh, kind of casually astrophysics, that type of thing. Um, and um, yeah, I think he's underrated. I think he's an awesome artist. Mm, cool. I like how you keep referring to uh, an artist um, being a small business. Yeah, well, I think it is. I mean, I think yeah. it's something that um, when I've done talks to uh, students, often they'll ask about money. Mm. How do you quote this? How do you, uh, uh, you know, because there's so many people that that are talented and they partly they don't take a risk, partly they have, I think if I had a kid any time in my late 20s, early 30s, I wouldn't have taken this risk, mm. you know? They have to feed some a little baby. Yeah. Um, and with the flip side of that, there's a lot of artists who... Uh, have styles that most people wouldn't really be able to recognize as being valuable it's not so distinguishable to people that don't practice artwork you know like someone that does triangles or squares or you know some abstract art but some people are really good at marketing or their connections with galleries a huge thing mm. and i think that the higher up you go in art world the higher the concentration is of those sort of artists where the majority of people don't really get it yeah Mm. And that's one thing about stuff that somehow fits on the street uh, in context there. Most people can understand it. They can like it or not. They can digest it. Totally. And it's like the street work is almost like your marketing promotion. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Mm. Um, what's one medium you'd love to work with? Uh, well, this morning I just bought a, um, a disc or an angle grinder that's for uh, shaping wood. So I want to get into that maybe even later today. Yeah? Yeah. And I think also just using tools, I've always since a kid working with my dad who's good at everything um, I think just when I'm losing using tools and doing something that is new then that's quite interesting for me yeah yeah I um I started working with the woodworkers downstairs here All right yeah I saw you got a jigsaw over there yeah, yeah. when I first uh, started doing all that stuff it was it was scary I was like a screwdriver and spanner type of guy yeah now I'm on the power tools I quite like it yeah, yeah. well I find that you, you learn certain principles that you can translate to other tools as well mm. And there's a confidence that comes from just using them over time as well. For like sure. at first, it's really, really scary. For sure. You feel like everything's out to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's one skill that you wish you had? Skill. Well, I've never been able to uh, do those magic eye books. Oh, yeah. Like people look at those and go, oh, look, there's a dinosaur, but I, I just can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> out of all the skills in the world. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I don't have the best sense of smell as well. Yeah. So it's something that I recognise. Like, I can't pick up things in, in wines or whatever it might be, and that may be good in some ways, but in other ways, I think I'd have a deeper, uh, deeper sense. Yeah. Um, who are some of your uh, favourite artists? Artists: uh, Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, John Lennon. Yeah, recording artists. <laughs> Well, I think like those guys are in their day. There's be people now as well, just cutting edge. Mm. It's just something that I've that uh, I get occasionally, or reasonably often, uh, interview questions from Year Eleven people doing VCU, and they all quite often ask the same question three different ways: how do you get ideas, where you get influences, and always try to slip in something a bit more abstract. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give your younger self? To to myself. Yeah. Um, that's a good question because we talked before about having regrets and I don't have too many regrets of um, early 20s. Uh, I think uh, in recent years, I've uh, been able to recognise toxic people in your life and shed those people wherever possible. Um, and I think advice for my earlier self is to maybe be more assertive and less shy. Uh, those that we're talking about Brazil, I think that was the jump for me to become full-time, to start taking a risk and not have a job three days a week um, and that was a huge thing for me of being able to say yeah I'm an artist being able to say this is my price tag and hang this on a wall with some kind of confidence and so that was a big jump for me to be able to do that yeah Brazil was a big jump for me as well because I remember entering the country mm. and I wrote um, you know you fill out the form mm. and it says what are, what's your occupation right, and I, wrote, right? I wrote artist right yeah it was the first time I've, <laughs> I've done anything like that well, that was the start of your world tour, right? Yeah. That was a huge, huge trip. Yeah, it was. Learning Spanish. And, mm. and then Claire, I remember Claire saying to me, you're not an artist. And it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm all painting. Artists, yeah. what, what else am I doing? Well, She's like, well, I guess you're especially right. Especially for your um, uh, claiming for your tax return. Yeah. You know, any trip can be, uh, if you're talking about art, it can be a meeting about art. Yeah. Yeah. One of those, one of those um, same questions when you enter back into Australia, I would always write something different, but once I wrote glorified doodler mm. and um, I got uh, st- uh, stepped aside and got questioned about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a dream project you'd love to work on? Um, dream project. Uh, one thing I've been thinking about and it's, it might be coming to fruition next year is to start a second studio and there might be a live-in situation, maybe not. I would like it to be somewhere close to something natural, like a river or park or so on. But being able to sublease areas to other various people and have this some kind of a building entity as an art piece in itself, um, especially if it's somewhat modular, so you can have exhibitions or little parties. Uh, but then also being able to choose uh, different people to rent rent space and share ideas, collaborate and just evolve and build a second community. Yeah. My studio is great, and we, we have signed another lease for five years, but middle of Collingwood, um, I don't know what's gonna happen in five years, but the rent was nearly went up by a third in April, and we're very lucky to kind of negotiate that down with, with um, um, yeah, we're just very lucky. Yeah. Um, where are you uh, wanting to take your art career? Um, well, one thing I said uh, earlier was doing less walls, but more time on canvas and exploring that a lot more but as well as different sculptural things in installation i've always kind of done a little bit but i don't think too many people are going to buy uh sculptures from me um without having a, a knowledge that is something i like doing mm. yeah i think you gotta do it and Absolutely. Ed- educate Absolutely, the, uh, yeah. you know the buyers mm. and that's one thing i found with 
with art career is the more you do a, uh, one thing, one style, the more you get a reputation for that and then work will come through that mm. as long as you can do it half decently. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's like, um, I don't know, it's, it's a similar thing, but I, I was speaking to a gallery and they said, oh, we don't sell, like they, I was, they were wanting to hang a painting of mine that was quite large mm-hmm. and they say, said, oh, we don't really sell paintings that large. And yeah. I said, well, have you, hung, have you hung any paintings this large in the gallery? And they know, said, yeah. no. And I said, well, how do you expect to sell a painting that big if it's not if hanging in yeah, the gallery? how do people know that? And then they hung it in the gallery and it sold on the first day. Wow, well, yeah. yeah. So and you never know. Where yeah. did that go to? Do you know? What's that? I went to an art collector. A collector, so right. Yeah, yeah. a serious their, collector who he, buys big paintings. You want it in their collection, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I would imagine as well the bigger pieces generally have a bigger price tag. Mm. Um, I find it so much easier to do bigger things. Mm. And it's one thing that this show coming up, I've... Um, got what is it, six large paintings and I'm thinking okay I had, I had these other ideas sketched out for another couple I'm thinking okay that's, that's enough maybe you're going to sell some maybe not there's less people have wall space for that size and also you're jumping up to a different price range um, and then that also kind of means that people are going to the people who would buy the bigger ones are generally not people that I know mm. it's just but you've got to do it, you know, if you want to head that direction, throw it out there and see what happens. Exactly. Mm. Um, do you have any uh, future plans or projects in the pipeline? Um, well, the, this huge focus of mine is exhibition December 5th in Collingwood. Just about to start um, promoting that and making an event and so on. But um, two days after that, December 7th, I'm having a party, which is kind of a birthday party for me. But I'm sharing it with uh, two girls, Ariana from B-Side Gallery and... Nixie's kind of involved uh, from Versus. Uh, she's also pregnant and um, she's also, I think they're moving studio at the end of next year or something. So she's not so active, but we've, uh, I think I can announce it, it's pretty much confirmed, uh, Fitzroy Town Hall. We're calling it a Safari Ball. It's gonna be performance art. There'll be some bands and DJs, there'll be food and drinks. And um, it's basically not for profit, but any revenue from tickets and bar revenue will go to the performers. Cool. I might even uh, play didgeridoo with a artist, Robbie Young, Aboriginal mate, who uh, will do Welcome to Country. I think my brother's funk band will play. Um, my sister might jump up uh, on guitar, singer-songwriter early on, and uh, dress to impress. You cool. must come. You must bring Claire. I'll be there. <laughs> I'll be there. Sounds good. It's, it's pretty much open invite, but um, I think the we're talking about the price of tickets, and I wanted to make it free. But, you know, obviously things in the world cost money. We're applying for a discount with City of Yarra because it's three arts organisations in Yarra. And I think that's going to get some kind of help. Um, but it's a big risk as well. Hmm. Yeah, because I don't know how many people are going to come. Uh, depends on what else is happening that night. And it's not something that any of us have done before. So you, there's no real precedent of that. Yeah. But essentially the, the goal is to have a lot of fun. And Safari Ball, you can interpret that however you want, but I would imagine there'll be some dapper gentlemen, there'll be a lot of animal print, uh, some evening gowns, and some in between. Cool. So, um, final question, like, uh, where's the best place for people to see your art online? Uh, I had a website, macatron.com, since, I think, 2002, I grabbed that name. And um, Instagram, at mike.macatron. So yeah, before we go, like, um, how'd the uh, how'd the name Macatron come about? Um, I first got that name through 
uh, sport actually through lacrosse and I was in the Australian team, I was a captain of this touring team and there was one guy who was kind of the funny guy and he just kind of was chucking names around for everyone and it was some kind of a description of being like a machine. But um, last name is, um, got a Mac in there which is an Irish name and um, it's just something I stuck over the years. Uh, today's uh, sponsor, Ironlac, uh, would like to uh, present you with a um, $100 gift voucher for oh, being nice. on the podcast. I think you always expecting that. No, so you can go online and uh, and spend that, just pick out some stuff for yourself. Yeah, cool. So, well, yeah. That's good to know. Yeah, thanks, I I'm, I find I'm using less and less spray paint, but um, that definitely won't go astray. Yeah, I don't know. I use a lot of their brushes. Yeah, right. Yeah, they do brushes and acrylics and all sorts of stuff. Nice. So you can um, get some stuff for and your uh, exhibition coming up. Very true. Yeah, I'm going through the brushes. Yeah, oh, I like them. All right, Maka, well, thanks for uh, taking the time to sit down and have a chat. Thanks for having me, Tom, and great initiative to start this podcast. Oh, thanks, mate. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Bench Talk. To view images of the guest's artwork, follow us on Instagram at bench underscore talk or go to the website benchtalkpodcast.com. If you want to stay up to date with the latest episodes, subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud or Stitcher. If you like the podcast, don't forget to tell a friend. Uh, thanks again for tuning in and stay tuned for next week's episode.